Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. A third of Americans now show signs of clinical anxiety and depression. A roundup of where and how the virus spreads, including how safe you may be on planes and going into the office, plus the details behind the futuristic SpaceX flight suits, the woman on TikTok trying to trade a bobby pin for a house, and a soothing soundscape of narwhals. Starting with a grim milestone, the number of deaths in the U.S. has surpassed 100,000. Brazil has moved into second place globally just behind the U.S. for their total number of confirmed cases at almost 400,000. And in a 24-hour period ending yesterday evening, Brazil reported more deaths than the U.S., Spain has begun a 10-day period of national mourning for the victims of coronavirus, the longest such official period in the nation's modern history. New findings from the U.S. Census Bureau indicate that a third of Americans now show signs of clinical anxiety or depression. Compared to a similar survey in 2014, the number of people reporting a depressed mood has doubled. Symptoms were worse among younger people and those earning lower incomes. And doctors are concerned about the increased number of people taking medications for anxiety and insomnia. Quoting the Wall Street Journal, Prescriptions for anti-anxiety medications such as Clonopin and Ativan rose 10.2% in the U.S. to 9.7 million in March 2020 from 8.8 million in March 2019. Prescriptions for antidepressants including Prozac and Lexapro rose 9.2% to 29.7 million from 27.2 million in the same period, end quote. The European Union's executive arm has proposed a stimulus package worth 750 billion euros, or about $860 billion, quoting the New York Times. The fund will distribute 500 billion euros worth of grants, free money that will not be added to national debt, to all 27 member states, with Italy getting the largest slice followed by Spain. European countries will also be able to apply for loans from a 250 billion euro fund, but that money will come with conditions and will count toward debt loads. The loans will also require a cumbersome approval process and are unlikely to be swiftly available." End quote. France has revoked the authorization of hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for COVID-19 following safety concerns raised by the World Health Organization after recent clinical trials. New Zealand no longer has any patients being treated with COVID-19 in the hospital. They still have at least 21 active cases, but have now gone five days without any new reported cases. And Disney World in Florida will reopen in July with reduced capacity, mandatory face masks, temperature checks, and without parades, fireworks shows, or meet and greets with characters. With the CDC recently clarifying their guidelines to say that touching surfaces or objects that have the virus on them and then touching your ears, nose, or possibly eyes is not the main way the virus spreads, but rather that the biggest concern is that it's spread, quote, very easily and sustainably between people, 
I thought it was worth doing a big ol' roundup of the latest information that we have on where you might be most likely to catch the virus. There's a great piece in the Salt Lake Tribune that lists out all different kinds of public places and explains their risk factors with links to accompanying studies backing up that information. Christopher Mims of the Wall Street Journal summarized the findings on Twitter, saying that according to the article, the places you are most likely to get infected are bars and clubs, sports events, church, buses with recirculating air, gyms, and offices. And where you're surprisingly safe? Airplanes, polling places, grocery stores, and schools. So far, he notes. Two key factors with most of the findings are super spreaders and recirculated air. Places like bars and clubs that are incompatible with social distancing can become super spreader events. For example, the 29-year-old man in Korea whose night of bar hopping has been traced to 187 positive cases. There's also a number of case studies of outbreaks occurring after church services around the world. In addition to potentially sitting very close to other people indoors for a prolonged period of time, a lot of religious services also include singing, and possibly shared food after the service. Singing, like shouting, is being found to increase likelihood of transmission, as does things like self-serve buffets, which can generate a huge amount of viral spread if people cough or sneeze near the food or other shared items like plates and utensils. But let's talk about this recirculated air factor. A study of a 50-minute bus trip in Wuhan shows that an asymptomatic woman ended up infecting 24 of the 66 other passengers, including many who weren't sitting anywhere near her. The culprit? Researchers think it was that the air conditioner was set to recirculation mode. All of the passengers who sat next to windows, except for one seated directly next to the infected woman, remained healthy. This concept is what has been making me particularly fearful of planes. We just keep hearing more and more about how the longer you are in a closed space, the higher likelihood of transmission. Well, that's highly dependent on what kind of ventilation is happening in that space. The case of the outbreak at the restaurant in Wuhan we've mentioned previously, where diners sitting beside the air conditioner vent on the opposite side of the restaurant from the infected family were also infected. Apparently, that AC unit wasn't functioning correctly. There's a number of ways that ventilation systems can malfunction or leak through filters, and different types of establishments have different requirements for ventilation. So it can be tough to know what your risk factor may be in a given indoor space. However, one place that's highly regulated and always maintained is airplanes. Quoting the Salt Lake Tribune, the ventilation system's requirement for airplanes meet or exceed CDC regulations for COVID-19 rooms in hospitals, end quote. The HEPA air filters used on planes remove 99.9% or more of particles, bacteria, and viruses. Now, that doesn't mean airplanes are completely safe. If you're seated within six feet of an infected person, you may be at risk, and everyone should be wearing masks to reduce transmission. But to learn more, Boeing and Airbus have announced a new study in conjunction with academics, engineers, and medical experts to understand more about how coronavirus spreads on planes. Keep an eye out for more on that soon. Now, as for schools, we still need to do a lot more research about the rate of infection in kids and whether they're more or less likely to spread the virus if they catch it, because unfortunately, a lot of the studies done in different parts of the world so far contradict each other on those points, but... 
there was promising news out of New Jersey this week. According to the state's health department, since child care centers reopened for kids of essential workers on April 1st, there have been no reports of outbreaks of two or more cases, which is pretty incredible. But we shouldn't get our hopes up too soon. There is still so much we don't know. And to that end, I will put a link with way more information about daycares and school in the show notes. Again, the main takeaways that we're seeing pretty consistently is that the longer time you spend in an enclosed space with someone who's infected, the more likely you are to catch the virus. On a previous episode, we ran through immunologist Aaron Bromage's blog post with a comprehensive guide to safely going out. He explains a lot of these concepts in plain language while linking to sources, and I still find it an immensely helpful thing to reference on occasion. And Wired recently did an interview with Bromage to ask a bit more about his analysis, so there's a link to that in the show notes for you to peruse along with all of the other articles that I referenced here. Again, we are still learning so much, but a lot of the case studies coming out are starting to be fairly consistent on points about exposure indoors and the length of time spent indoors. Moving on to some good news. Weather permitting, the SpaceX Crew Dragon rocket will be launching this afternoon, right around the time this podcast goes live. So as I'm recording this, I don't actually know if it's happened yet, but the weather is looking good so far. Hopefully, we've all been able to watch the stream and follow along with updates as astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Behnken make their way to the International Space Station. It's the first private space flight with actual astronauts on it, and because it is SpaceX, you know that they'll be flying in style. If you've seen any photos of astronauts Hurley and Behnken suited up in their new SpaceX gear, you'll know that their flight suits look distinctly more... chic than their predecessors. They look much more like what you'd expect to see astronauts wearing in a futuristic sci-fi movie than actual reality. And that makes sense, because apart from everything from the SpaceX and Tesla brands having a certain slick sci-fi aesthetic, with perhaps the exception of the Cybertruck, the look of these spacesuits was actually conceived of by Hollywood costume designer Jose Fernandez, whose Ironhead studio has worked on multiple Batman franchises, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Tron, Legacy, Jupiter Ascending, and even some of Daft Punk's looks. So... The style of these suits totally makes sense with that in mind. But they don't just look good. These Starman suits, as they're called, come with touchscreen-compatible gloves, 3D-printed helmets, and all of the usual features and protections that flight suits require, like providing oxygen, regulating temperature control, and facilitating communication with ground control. They are just flight suits, though, for use inside the Crew Dragon capsule and not to be used for spacewalks. For those, the astronauts will use either NASA's extravehicular mobility suit or the Russian Orlin suit, which are the two types used by astronauts aboard the International Space Station. Boeing, the other company in the U.S. commercial spaceflight game, has also upgraded flight suit designs substantially. Their Boeing Blue design is 40% lighter than previous generations of flight suits and also features touchscreen-compatible gloves, along with a soft hood-like helmet to give astronauts improved peripheral vision during takeoff and re-entry. The cobalt blue suits are not quite as cool-looking as the SpaceX Starman suits, but they're still way more stylish than even the newest NASA flight suits, which debuted in 2019 as part of the Artemis program, and which are a lighter-weight, updated take on the classic bright orange Advanced Crew Escape Suit, or 
pumpkin suit, as it's known colloquially. Of course, as fascinating as the evolution of design of spacesuits is, the most important thing is that they work to protect the astronauts from depressurization and all the other dangers of space flight. Still, though, Doug Hurley and Bob Bankin are looking pretty fly as they take off today. Back in 2005, a Canadian man named Kyle McDonald traded a red paperclip for a house. Or, more accurately, he traded a red paperclip for a fish pen, which he then traded for a hand-sculpted doorknob, which he traded for a camp stove, and on and on, all the way to trading a paid role in a Hollywood movie for a two-story farmhouse in Kipling, Saskatchewan. And now, 15 years later, an anonymous Bay Area woman is looking to replicate the project using a bobby pin. Going by the name Trade Me Project on TikTok, since May 18th, she's traded the bobby pin for a pair of earrings, which she then traded for a set of margarita glasses, which she then traded for a vacuum, which she has most recently traded for a snowboard. In a Q&A session on her Instagram earlier today, she teased that the biggest trade yet will be coming today or tomorrow. She also shared that her rules are that no money can be involved, straight one-to-one trades only, and she is not allowed to trade with anyone she knows. Instead, she crawls through eBay, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, and now DMs from followers to help find the perfect match for each trade. No doubt she'll be getting a lot more offers as her following on TikTok has gone from a few hundred to over a million and a half in just the last few days. And as she is doing this project in the age of social media, when everyone is jaded and skeptical, commenters are already suspecting that she's faking the whole thing. It's a far cry from the blogging era of McDonald's red paperclip project when local radio DJs, Hollywood producers, and entire cities wanted to get involved with what seemed like a quaint, unique project. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that original spirit this new bobby pin version can retain in our changed media and social landscape. If you want to follow along, you can watch her video updates on TikTok or follow her Instagram where she says she'll be posting details of each trade. Both are Trade Me Project. Link in the show notes. And ending today with the soothing sounds of narwhals. Marine biologists and Inuit whalers recently recorded the sounds of narwhals summering in Arctic glacial fjords in northwest Greenland. Quoting Gizmodo, Narwhals, the so-called unicorns of the sea, are notoriously difficult to study owing to their skittish nature and uncongenial habitats. Normally, narwhals are found deep below the Arctic Ocean surface, but they summer off the coasts of northern Canada and Greenland. For the marine biologists who wish to study these creatures, this presents a bit of a problem, as narwhals tend to loiter around dangerous glacial fjords. Scientists who are willing to brave these hostile environments are often met with frustration as the sounds of motorboats frighten the shy aquatic mammals away. This partly explains why scientists have struggled to capture the various sounds made by narwhals. Perhaps surprisingly, these animals live in one of the noisiest soundscapes in the ocean, as it's described by the authors of a new study published this week in the AGU's Journal of Geophysical Research, Oceans. Glaciers are really noisy, producing all sorts of groans and moans as the massive walls of ice inch toward and collapse into the ocean, end quote. 
With the help of local guides, these biologists waded in small boats to spot the narwhals and then dropped microphones into the water, getting as close as 25 meters to the animals. They recorded the light whistling sound that narwhals use when speaking with each other, as well as the clicking sound that they make when they use echolocation to find food, and the buzzing noise that the rapid clicks produce when food is nearby. Here's what each of those sounds like. I had never really thought before what a narwhal sounds like, but I was definitely expecting something louder and deeper, kind of like whale sounds. These were almost pleasant to listen to, especially with the ambient water noise in the background. So maybe if you're looking for some calming background noise while you work today, maybe just play that on loop for a few hours. That is all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.